0: Hey friends, hope you're doing well. Welcome to another episode of the Dream Nation Love Podcast. I'm your host, Yulia. And today on the show, I have Pete Senna. He's the Founder and Chief Creative Officer of Digital Surgeons. They're a global creative consultancy working on everything from venture-backed startups to Fortune 50 organizations. Now, digital surgeons are in my hometown uh, of New Haven, Connecticut. I've been following the work probably for the last 15 years. I remember that Pete started this company right when I went to move to New York. And I just remember tracking their growth and thinking how well they're doing in New Haven and how they're doing really great work and how inspiring they are. I'm really looking forward to basically having Pete on the show because I don't get to talk shop too often with designers. I don't think a lot of people know that I'm a creative director as well. And uh, I freelance for ad agencies in New York and I have my own creative agency. That's what I do. I'm art side, but I also write copy. cat's out of the bag. That's what I do during the day. Pete has so much knowledge uh, about digital marketing that he loves to share and just about innovation in general. And I really love having him on the show. Pete's mission is to empower ambitious individuals and visionary organizations to design, demand and engineer growth. And we talk about this on the show. You know, how do you design demand? How do you engineer growth? How do you create human centric, future forward inspiring work? He is great with helping clients think forward through experience design, creative marketing, and digital business model transformation, and we talk about that on the show as well. And um, this podcast is really focused about the future of digital marketing, right? Like Pete talks about, where do we go? What is the future? Pete shares his advice for building cross-functional innovation teams, you know, how do you do that at your company? How do you get everybody involved? And we also talk about how the pandemic affected digital marketing and product launches as well, because I think that's been a huge thing. If you're a designer, if you're in the marketing field, uh, a lot of budgets were cut. A lot of budgets were back to being inflated. It's been a really roller coaster ride. Back launches got you know pushed up front. It's it's been it's been a wild ride in the marketing world, and uh, I'm sure you want to tune in and hear all about it. After you listen to the podcast, don't forget to sign up for the Dream Nation Love newsletter on our website. It's on the homepage, so just scroll on down and add your email. Just visit www.dreamnation.io. Check it out. It's on the front page. It's just like way below. You got to scroll a little bit. Check it out. Tell your friends about the show. Pete, welcome to the show. It's so good to see you. Hey, it's
1: good to see you too. It's been a long time.
0: I know, you do so much and I'm so excited to interview you because you're from my hometown and I love the work that you guys have been doing. I've been literally following you probably for the last ten years since you guys started. It's
1: been that long, huh? I feel special now.
0: Yeah, and you guys have been growing and growing because because I remember I graduated college like ten years ago and there was like nobody doing graphic design in New Haven and you guys were one of the few. And and I was like, This is cool. And then I moved to New York and I just kinda like just watched you guys grow and grow and grow and grow and New Haven is so awesome. So I'm just so happy that you guys are thriving here.
1: No, we appreciate that. It's so interesting to see just how small the world has gotten because of digital. And that's the one thing I love about it. And especially now with COVID, we've been hiring people from all over the world to join the team. But we love our small town, New Haven. It's just a lot of really good stuff going on there, as you know all too well.
0: And the pizza is the best, I have to say. like You can't get this good pizza anywhere.
1: Absolutely. And uh, Barstool just proved it. So they, they did their big test and New Haven still won. We've definitely got some really good pizza. There's a lot of good food there too. A lot of interesting chefs popping up as well. So I love the scene. It sort of feels like it's maybe eight, nine years ago, what was happening in Brooklyn, that arc about eight, nine years ago. It kind of, it kind of feels like that's what's happening in New Haven right now.
0: It does. And I was there in that arc 15, 16 years ago in Brooklyn before I became like super gentrified, like on, on steroids, before it became like, Oh my gosh! It's almost like Times Square now. It's it's intense.
1: Now all the cool folks are going down to Miami, right? It's like Miami or Austin is like all the rage now.
0: Yeah, everybody's in Miami and or in Mexico or in Bali.
1: Yeah, Bali for sure.
0: It's really interesting to see everybody shift. I don't know what's gonna happen, but it's certainly interesting. But I'm so interested in what you've done with digital surgeons because you've built cross functioning teams, you do consultancy, you do public speaking. Your work ranges from like venture back startups to Fortune 50 organizations. And you work with CEOs, CMOs, and creative leaders and you help them b- build their brands. So I'm so excited to talk to you because you have such a wealth of information and it's not every day I get to talk about design. And I'm an art director. I don't know if anybody really realizes that, but I work as a creative director.
1: Oh, we realize. Your, your design style is always so awesome. You, you can't launch great looking stuff like you and not have that background. So no, we, we, we realize it.
0: Some like two people listening. That's what I do during the day. I I do that. And I work at agencies and and I have Dream Nation. It's also like a dilemma of your own stuff, but also like it's the shoemaker without the shoes. Like you do stuff for other people, but then your own stuff is just like never finished or never done. Like my own strategy for Dream Nation Love is a hot mess. And I just like repost things while like I sit at work and create strategies for brands to do social. And I wrote a strategy, but I haven't had time to execute it.
1: It's so funny. It's the, the shoemaker, like you said. It's super interesting. I find myself doing that lately too. It's I'm my background's in design and development, right? So I've been designing coding since I was a kid. It's one of the reasons I started DS. And one of the crafts I've been really enjoying recently has been getting into writing. But I do it like every night at like midnight because it's like when is there a time? So then you go back and you read it and you're like, wow, that's really bad. So it's just so interesting. I could definitely empathize with not having the time. And in your case, like. Not only are you building all these brands, but also like New Mom and you've got so many different things in your, your world. So I'm so impressed with you, just like how much you've done. I feel like I, like every place I turn, I see Dream Nation popping up. So I'm just honored to be here.
0: Thanks. Thanks. Sometimes it feels like you're like shouting into a void, but then you're like, ah, there are people listening. So that's cool. The numbers are going up. You just try to do like one thing a day. That's it. That's how I'm handling it. I'm like, okay, I have this one big thing that I need to do and whatever tiny things I do after, that's great. But that's been my approach. Instead of writing at night, have you tried waking up in the morning? Switch your schedule?
1: I'm the worst. <laughs> I, I've tried. So I, I'm the worst morning person. I've tried for <laughs> years. I, I took one of those. I don't know if you know the better Daniel Pink. He's written books like Drive. And I remember reading something that he posted or whatever. And it was talking about just what they call them. It's not chronotype. It might be chronotype. It's something like that where it's like, you can take this test and there's like different types of like, you're a night owl yeah. or you're, you're that. And Every time I take the test, no matter where I take it, whatever BuzzFeed like quiz I take it on, it always says I'm a night owl. And I just, I feel like I'm the most creative at night, but I've tried to rewire my brain. My friends tell me that are all parents and, and have kids. They're like, oh, you're going to become a morning person. <laughs> Don't you worry.
0: I'm going to tell you the same thing. I'm a night person. And so is my husband. And now we're like 5am. It it just changes you. And, and you know what, as I get older, like, I want to go to sleep around 11 o'clock, like I'm I'm forty 42. And my brain is, we're going to bed. So I'm like, oh.
1: what is it to say? Um, necessity is the mother of an intervention. So yeah, no, with a, with a kid on the way, I'm sure that it's just a matter of time before I'm, uh, Officially, a morning person who knows new things, for sure.
0: Yep. And then you're going to be like, early bird special, please.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: It's wild. But that's great. That I, I enjoy your writing. You have a really great blog on your site. And I peruse it every once in a while. And uh, I liked your article on Zoom calls. People can check it out. Oh, thanks. Wrote a really great blog on how to improve Zoom calls, which is pretty simple, which is actually like creating an objective. I think that's like half of it, right? Why are you meeting? But yeah, you can discover it on the website. I won't go too much into it. I want to start the podcast, but he's got a lot of really great design information, design thinking, brand management on the site and at digitalsurgeons.com, right? Yes?
1: Yeah, you got it right. Absolutely. I've been posting a lot. Like personally, lately, I've been posting a lot on Medium. I've had a Medium account just because of Twitter for ages, and it's just Pete Senna on Medium. But I've been having a, a lot of fun writing for that. Recently, I wrote about low code just this past week and got to connect with some really amazing people. And I think that that's the thing I love the most about just putting points of view out there, whatever those points of view are, whatever the topic is that you just find more people that either agree with you or disagree with you. And I think that there's something really interesting to come from all that. I'm going to keep trying to do much more of that. So thank you for noticing.
0: Yes, please do. It's great. And I think being creative does At night, it's like this thing that just like beams down into your brain. Like when right when you're trying to like sleep too, you're like, "I have an idea." Absolutely. Okay, so when you were a kid, what was your dream? Did you always want to be a designer?
1: I think that I wanted to be a designer even before I knew what a designer was. So I have this like very esoteric definition of design that I'll certainly bore you in the audience with. But the first job I can remember like wanting to do when I was like a little, little kid was I wanted to be a comic book artist. I was just like so obsessed with Marvel and X-Men and like all that. And then I remember as I started to grow up a little bit and of course, like any kid discover video games. And I was like, Oh my God, I want to make these things like forever. One of the, the, my dream jobs as a kid was just like wanting to make video games that love for video games and like the art that came with it and all that. And that's where I discovered art and design. I was like, okay, if I want to do that, I got to learn all this coding stuff. And that's like how everything was born was just solving problems with computers and design. And at that time, it was, it's a lot of design, a lot of code, a lot of UI. But I didn't know any of the buzzwords. Right nowadays, we say words like, oh, we're UX designers or we're creative entrepreneurs. But like back then, it was like, I just wanted to make cool stuff, man. So like, that was, that's what I was doing. And that's where I wanted to be when I was a kid.
0: I love it. I still have my X-Men card collection. Nice. Um, I, I started out drawing superheroes too. A lot of X-Men. Like I still have all my hologram cards. I think all of it is probably worth like a hundred bucks at the most. Now. I think it's for a thousand. I
1: don't know. You, maybe you can mint some of those as NFTs nowadays or digital NFTs. You know, who knows? Like make millions of dollars like people. just
0: Grimes just sold some art. And I think she just made like $6 million in F- FFTs. I didn't read the article. It keeps on like popping up. And I was like, interesting.
1: It's funny you mentioned because I'm a huge Elon Musk fan. I don't know if you've checked this out. Pull this up. Have you seen this app? And I have nothing to do with this. So no ownership. They're not a client. I just want to say that. I'm not, I'm not plugging them for any other reason. Have you seen this app called Endel?
0: Yeah. Is that what she was doing? She was doing the sleep sound.
1: Baby Lullaby thing. It's just, it's so cool. But you'd love the UI UX of it. It's just interesting. Didn't mean to break your train of thought, but it's, uh, you, got me, you got me thinking about grinds and stuff, you know?
0: No, I love that you brought it up because I listened to her baby lullaby and my baby was interested. She was like, ah, oh, what's this? And it was just so ethereal and so grindy. And it's just cool to see her do like baby stuff and just like yeah. expand on the art that she's doing and just go into a different realm.
1: You know, this as a designer yourself, as designers, we solve problems. She wouldn't have gotten interested in babies until she had one. Yeah. Because Grimes is Grimes. So I think what's so interesting is to see how, as we change and we open up these new pathways, we find ourselves getting involved in different things. Just talking to you today about like kids and that sort of thing, like six months ago, like <laughs> I wasn't thinking about like breathable mattresses for kids. And now I'm like, why do I need to think about that? So I, th- I think that it's what I love about the work that I do at Digital Surgeons and with a lot of the businesses that I advise is. It's like being in the, the Willy Wonka chocolate factory, where it's like every day you're learning something new and it's, I didn't know what an NFT was like a year ago. And now it's like I'm minting stuff on the blockchain, right? I don't know anything about this stuff, but now all of a sudden we have all these new things coming at us. So that's what I love about what we do is we're just always immersed in something new. And that's, I think what keeps that spirit going, at least for me, but I don't know what it's like for you. Yeah.
0: I think it's like you constantly have to learn. And whether it's like upgrading your skills to a new program, you're like, oh, Figma is out. Okay, Uh, Sketch is out. Okay, I have to learn. Like you constantly, you have no choice but to innovate. It's either like you innovate or you just die. die. So you have to always keep going, which is exciting if you like that. I love it. And I'm sure you love it. And as designers, you get to solve problems. And like, we live off of this stuff. Totally. What's really interesting is that you've had digital surgeons for 10 years. So you've seen the whole
1: 15. 15. Yeah. And on, on March 15th is our 15 year anniversary.
0: Oh my gosh. Congrats. That's amazing. Thanks so much. But you've seen the, the design landscape change as well. There's just social now because when you and I first started out, it was just TV and radio. Mm -hmm. And now you have to design for like 3,000 things. And sometimes the budgets aren't there. And they're like, we need all these assets. And you're like, but the money is not there. (laughs) Absolutely. It's you want to eat a steak dinner, but you have a McDonald's budget.
1: Champagne tastes beer budgets. And I used to say that, but you can't say it anymore because now there's a lot of those IPAs that are coming out are twice the cost of champagne. So it's a moot phase now, but for sure.
0: That's so true. So, how did you start Digital Surgeons?
1: The shortest answer to that question is I was in my Yukon dorm room and had a classic corporate job staring me in the face in the future. And where I was having all of my fun was on these like side hustle projects that I was doing, like for friends. So, like making like nightclub websites or like designing club flyers or all these different things. And it was interesting. I found myself often getting a lot of the projects where something had gone wrong before me. So it was like, I was having to go in and like do surgery on these things. Like I was getting these really messy website projects or apps and the code was just a mess and it was done by then quickly or, or poorly. And, and I was going into doing surgery and it was just like this one moment hit me where I said, you know, I think I can do something different than just working a normal nine to five if I do my own thing. And I've, I was always sort of, very entrepreneurial, but I never really knew about what that meant. Like I wasn't like, I don't have an MBA or that sort of thing, though I did get a business degree ultimately at the end. But the thing was interesting. Is like, I was really enamored by how design and tech at the time were coming together. And I thought that there was like these really just different worlds that were so separate and so different. It was that idea of juxtaposition of the two things. And when they came together... That's sort of like where my world literally changed in a flash. And I say that pun intended, because I used to do a lot of Mograph design and flash design was all the rage. So really it was like at that point where I decided to like to leave big corporate, if you will, and said, you know what, when I'm officially done with school, I'm gonna pursue entrepreneurship and I'm gonna do my own thing. And I did the thing that everyone always tells you not to do, which is never start an agency like without going to work for an agency. And I sort of think it's interesting because Sometimes the advice that people give you in life, I think if you just flip it around and do the opposite, you'll actually be more successful. Like I remember when someone was like, don't buy any of this cryptocurrency stuff. It's not going to be worth any money. And then like I check my crypto wallet and $2 is now worth like a gazillion dollars. And I'm like, okay, I guess that was a good thing to do. So yeah, I guess the advice I'd give to you and and the listeners that wanted is just like if you've got this thing that is fueling you, go for it. So that's how Digital Surgeons was born and in the beginning it was just me like taking projects and then I got too much project work and I realized that I was really bad at selling myself. I was doing like $200 projects that probably should have been 20,000 at the time and then I met my co-founder and we had this idea and we said listen Why don't we join forces? And I said, sure, we'll give it a little test run. We'll do a couple month test run. And now here we are 15 years later. We have started multiple businesses, one of which I'm wearing on my chest right now. It's a sweatshirt. And when you said it, I was like, wow, it's been 15 years. I feel old.
0: It's crazy, right? Time flies. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to be 42 in April. Like, I don't feel 42. And that's going to be what it's going to be like to age. Like I remember my friend Nancy Spiro, who's like a huge artist. She was like 96 at the time and she couldn't design art anymore. Her hands were like arthritic. So sad. Yeah. She had a whole team of people designing her stuff, but she was, we were having dinner one night and she was like, you know, I just feel like I'm in this ship and it's like a sinking ship. And she's like, my brain is active. I feel like I'm 20 years old still, but my body is
1: old. Oh, it's, it's heartbreaking to hear that.
0: I know, but she kept on designing. She kept on designing until the day that she passed away, which was incredible. As an artist, you keep on going. You know, like I'm going to see you guys like a district doing stuff when you're like 96.
1: <laughs> Listen, I hope I live that long. I hope, I hope I'm hope i not that, that privileged to do that for sure. That, that's the super interesting thing that... Do you know Tobias von Schneider? Mm-mm, no. He's an amazing designer. He's worked at like FI and spotify he did the mars rover logo recently
0: oh cool Uh, yeah my friend hey our friends created that logo from new haven my friend trisha i don't know if you remember trisha but she married the guy who created the landing gear on the mars rover wow the rockabilly hair i can't remember it I, i like don't remember things anymore but hello back to new haven
1: no new haven's doing some cool stuff don't sleep on new haven you got two uh fellow creators right from new haven on this very podcast.
0: That's true. But yeah, so he created the Mars Rover logo to
1: buy it. Why I was sharing him is he wrote an article recently about the death of middle management. And it was talking about how designers, as we advance in our careers and we level up, we then start managing people and we get further and further and further away from the thing that we love most, which is the craft itself. It's funny to say, thinking that 20, 30, 40 years from now, I'm going to still want to be creating. And it's something I've I've actually had a lot of I would say tense conversations with different entrepreneurs about different friends of mine that are CEOs or have startups that they've exited and whatnot. It's I've always wanted to be close enough to the work where I can still create. So like every chance I get nights or weekends, I'm still coding for fun. I'm still designing for fun. Lately I've been getting really into these like 3d and I'm probably going to mint some NFTs pretty soon just for fun. But I've been getting into like projection mapping and just different multimedia because for me, I think the best thing we can do as creators is cross train, you know, put our minds into different places, and that's why I've been try- trying to write, which is really hard. James Dow, who's our creative director, always says to me, he's an amazing writer and storyteller, and every time I show my writing, I'm like, I hate this, and he's like, that's like a little bit better than the last time you sent me something, and I was like, yes, all right, cool. So I'll just keep going. But in all seriousness, I think why I share the thing about Tobias, and he has this really great newsletter called From the Desk of whatever. And it's I'll definitely send you a link to it after the podcast. But what I love about it is he talks about just the need to continue to stay close to the craft. So whether you are a CEO that's launching billion-dollar brands or companies or a designer or an architect an engineer, the one thing that I always say is like, don't get too far away from the work because that is the thing that's important. So if you're the CEO, you don't want to be too far from your customer, right? You don't want to be too far from the work because then you're out of touch. And I think what makes a lot of the work that you've always put out there that I've always been inspired by over the years is like, you're always connected to that zeitgeist. You're connected to that culture because you're in it. And if you remove yourself from it, certainly it gives perspective. But I think that there's something special about the way that creatives minds work that only happens when you're creating. And it doesn't necessarily happen when you're in spreadsheet mode or resource allocation mode, which certainly as senior leaders, we get ourselves into quite a bit.
0: Yeah. You know, I've noticed that over the years too. Like when I entered advertising, there were just top managers who would just like manage teams. They wouldn't really do any art. They would go on a photo shoot and they go on like all the juicy projects, but they wouldn't do art. But these days you kind of have to do everything. I can be running a 10 person team in an ad agency, but then they're like, pick up a banner, pick up like an email, jump in. And I'm like, are you kidding me? But I do it. (laughs) But it's, it's hard because it takes a lot of energy to run a 10 person team successfully if the work is like massive. And usually it's like a, it's like a conveyor belt. Like It's very easy to feel like Lucy on the conveyor belt when the chocolates are coming too fast, then you're just like trying to gobble them up.
1: That was the visual that went my mind before you said it. I was thinking of it.
0: That's what like every day in advertising feels like. You're just like this conveyor belt is like not tuned and I'm hired to tune it. And it's hard because you have to be creative. You have to help encourage other people's ideas you know, it's a lot of managing personalities too. So it's being a designer at the end, like you said, it's problem solving. And I was going to ask you, uh, what do you see as being the future of digital marketing now that you've done this for such a long time?
1: Well, the first thing I would say is the future of marketing is just marketing, right? I think what's interesting is like oxygen, we all breathe oxygen. Digital is everything, right? Digital is what's making this thing that we're doing possible. It's what's making the information traveling to this watch possible, like digital is everything, right? So I think the future of marketing is creating a value exchange between two people. And in some cases, those two people, one of them is a personified brand or some form of supply and demand. But I think the future of marketing is about being able to understand the the needs and wants of people and serving them in really like understanding the behavior and then shifting and changing that behavior to connect people. So when I think about the future of marketing, it's I like to think about what's going to be true in 50 years from now, what's going to be true in a hundred years from now, right? When all this information is being beamed to us by some augmented, artificial augmented intelligence and everything's robots and cobots and automated and et cetera, et cetera. So when I think about that, for me, the future of marketing is about, being more exposed and being more human with the stories we tell. One of the things that I think is interesting, we do a lot of work in design and digital transformation. A lot of our clients, the more the enterprise-y clients that come to us that are you know larger and a bit slower moving in some cases. It's funny that the early adopter, the smaller startup clients that we work with, want to get the scale of the big companies, but then the big companies want to get the nimbleness of the small companies. So everyone wants what's on the other side of the fence, as they say or grass is greener, if you will. But what's interesting on the idea of the future of marketing is for me, it's how do you let the robots do the jobs that robots were designed to do so that humans can do the one thing that I think can't be replaced by a machine, which is true and natural unbridled creativity. Like I don't believe a machine, even one that passes the Turing test at some point in the future, I still believe that machines need a model to learn from. And need a pattern to to play off of. And that's why folks like us exist, right? That's why when you look at these design-driven organizations that have leaders that can understand the needs of the customer, that's why they're succeeding 10x better than what a Procter & Gamble brand might do, right? Or what a large uh, corporate brand might do. Because innovation really comes down to creativity at speed. And it doesn't always have to feel like that conveyor belt, but I, I certainly can uh, reflect on that myself and have empathy. But I think what's interesting is the future is just about telling stories and making authentic connections. And I think that the more that the space gets crowded, the more the demand to be unique is there. Right? We are are wired. Our brains are wired. We want novelty. We want that, that new thing that just hasn't been done that way. It's why if you look at the top 40 songs on the playlist for the past 20 years in a row, they're all converging on different genres. They're taking things from different decades and different mu- music styles and melodies and, and all these different things. So for me, like, I've got this beautiful print on my wall in my, in my study downstairs. And it's a Jackson Pollock print, of course, not the real Jackson Pollock, but it's a piece called Convergence that um, Mark, who's a dear friend and our design director, got for me. And it's that idea of convergence. So I think to answer the question in one word, the future of marketing is convergence, human convergence.
0: I love that. And I think that's so true because I think speaking of Elon, he's building Neuralink. And I just did a podcast on like hacking Neuralink it just came out today with Ann Griffin. There's like all this stuff that we are not expecting, like none of us were expecting to be in a pandemic. There's just stuff that we can't anticipate. It, again, it's survival of the fittest. What agency and what person can adjust to working in a new medium? What is going to be the new medium?
1: What shows up for me when I think about that is what do people value? And when I think about like right now, people value time, attention, People value novelty. So, you know, again, the age old thing is, you know, entertainment value utility. If you can serve two of the three to somebody, you're going to most likely win in some way, shape or form. You know, what's interesting to me is I'm very inspired lately by companies that are finding ways to automate the mundane, to create more space for the extraordinary. Some of my favorite brands that we're working with, it's, I think some of the best people that are enabling these brands to grow are the customer service teams. Really being able to create those special moments when when automation basically says that you're not going to get your product for, for two more days, even though you really need it because something went wrong with a FedEx delivery or whatever. When you get that human text message or that human email that's not automated by a robot, that person will make your day or break your day. So I feel like those are the opportunities for innovation. Companies... Oftentimes, in my opinion, focus on the wrong things. And I think if you really focus on like the product and the experience that people have around it, you kind of can't lose. And like the, again, the data is out there by far smarter people than me that prove that. But that's sort of what shows up for me just as we start to think about these uncertain futures, right? When I think about the pandemic, I have some friends who are in the restaurant business that, you know, had 20 year restaurants and now they're out of business. And it's horrible and it breaks my heart. We tried to help somewhere we can and do some omelet ordering, some different things. But what I think is interesting, it was my co-founder that said this, David Salinas, who's one of my partners in district and my co-founder of Digital Surgeons. He said, COVID will kill anything that had a pre-existing condition. And I think what was so interesting by that, and I love that language framing. He's so good at these quick things. I'm way too long-winded. He said this thing, and it got me thinking a lot about pre-existing conditions. So what are the business models that are broken? What are the experiences that are broken? And how might we as creators, as designers, as entrepreneurs, start to shape these newfound experiences that are really tailor-made to people? So I, I don't know if that's sparking you or not, but it just inspires me to think differently about the idea of resilience and how we can bounce back in a stronger, better way as a result of these things that have happened and occurred outside of our control.
0: I think that's so fascinating because it makes me think of uh, Brooks Brothers and people are like, Brooks Brothers is going under, but Brooks Brothers have been going under for a very long time. COVID was just like the nail. It was like the the straw that broke the camel's back. But there are a lot of brands that just get comfortable and they don't want to innovate. And they just go, we're making money. Everything is going to be good. They're also not adapting to just the modern world. It's you know, Ford, if he would have just built that one car, and then he would have just stopped, it would have been like, No, this is good.
1: (laughs) No, I totally agree. It's so interesting, too. Is like, if you listen to the market, the market tells you everything that you need to know, you can't beat the market, you can't beat the wisdom of the crowd, as they say, and anyone who tries to, I think those stories uh, have been told already. So we can look back, you know, the best predictor of the future is the past.
0: Oh, that's such a good line. Yes, you have a lot of uh, good one-liners on this podcast. <laughs>
1: Thanks so much. I appreciate it. That. Yeah,
0: that's, that's a really, I love that. And I think that's so true. The past also goes back to being a designer because you can't design the future and you can't design the present without having a past. And that's why it might be a little harder for robots because robots don't have a past. You don't have a background. Like your background is unique and you bring your uh, specific, background to your work as do I. And that's what makes us unique and create unique experiences. But for a robot, if all the robots came off the factory in the same way and if they weren't programmed with a consciousness or a personality or a background, then how does that affect work?
1: Yeah. You know, it's interesting to hear you say that. One of the things that I want to share with you and the audience that is really inspiring me right now is one thing that's not lost on me is just truly how much privilege I have, right? Just based on where I was born and the things that I was afforded. And obviously, I would be ignorant as hell to not be aware of the privileges that I have as a white male, which again, I try my best to, to create an inclusive platform for, for those that I, I get to collaborate with because I'm aware of that now. But I say that just specifically because of the implicit bias that's in everything that as humans, just all of that bias in the algorithms, bias in the tech and the ethics and all these things. And one thing I'm really inspired by right now is how the design of business products and even just graphic design and the the world that you and I come from originally, how it's being shaped and disrupted by taking a values-driven approach. So what I mean by that specifically is if you want to create a set of products that are inclusive and stand for something find people who share those values rather than going on the homepage of Dribbble or Behance and finding the sexiest, trendiest design or UI or motion or whatever it is that we all see. That's going to just be a lot more copy, paste, copy, paste, copy, paste. So one thing I've started to really open my eyes up to is what are the values that we're trying to emulate? And then how do I tap into those values to seek out people that share those values and it's a great exercise by Brene Brown on values. If you, I'm sure you've seen it just because I feel like everything. It's an amazing exercise for identifying what your values are and what your boundaries are. And what I found recently in, in some of the, the newer work we're doing is we started to work with people from very different walks and talks of life. And I think what we're starting to see now is just how much you can disrupt a market if you are designing for or are that market. I know, obviously, you had Kara on one of your podcasts, the CEO and founder of Hint. I'm a huge fan of hers. Really, really love just what she stands for. And I think a lot about what she did to disrupt the world or a market, right? So now as designers, how do we seek out other people that have the values that we seek? And if we're trying to design for inclusion, then how do we bring someone onto our team or work with someone who is very much living in that world or understands it? That to me is where the human-centered design aspect comes into play. And I've seen that in the ideas of the world. I've seen that in the design thinking of the world. But what I haven't seen a lot of, and we're trying to incorporate it in the work we do today, is how do we bring that thinking into startups? How do we bring that thinking into corporations? How do we bring that thinking in aesthetic integrity into the work that we do and the stories that we tell? And that's some of the stuff that's keeping me up at night right now in a fun way is like, how do we remix that? And play off that resilience and play off all the stuff that happened in this pandemic and say, what's true now and what will be true 50 years from now, irrespective of the next plague that that unfortunately might hit the world, you know?
0: I think design has so much weight in this world. As designers, we shape a visual culture and we shape the world and how the world views everything through media, through packaging, through commercials, through, through, through content. What I think is really interesting about digital surgeons is that you are literally building cross functional innovation teams at your agency and through and with your clients as well and um, at a lot of places at a lot of I know at a lot of agencies I worked at like so many agencies it's impossible to build cross functional innovation teams I've worked at venture development companies and I've seen workshops where we help people do that so I know how easy it is but some companies just have a very stuck mindset and they can't even like think about cross functioning because it's so dysfunctional in a weird way. And you have so many personalities and you have so many egos. And I think at the end of the day, it comes down to egos and people are like, I don't want to work with that department. They're not going to tell me what to do. Back to the Jackson Pollock thing. I think if there was a lot more cross pollination, everything would approve. Everything would approve across the board. But my long-winded <laughs> this is my long-winded way of asking you what is your advice for building cross-functional innovation teams
1: well the first thing i would say is thank you because there's days i wake up and i feel like we're just not innovating enough then we're not being cross-functional enough and get into my own imposter syndrome so i'm really grateful to hear that that that's what occurs to you the only thing that i can say just like that comes from a place of authenticity and truth to be really candid is i believe when we've been successful at building cross-functional teams, whether it be internally or with our customers or with the projects that we've worked on, I really believe it's come down to this core belief that we have. And, and we say this when we pitch, and it's a big part of who we are, is I fundamentally believe that creativity and curiosity are broken. I think they're broken in the world. I think they're broken in business. If you look at just the sheer data from the time a child grows up, If you were to graph out how many times they ask why and how many times they ask curious questions and try new things, it massively degrades as we get older. We are told how to think, and that unfortunately limits the lateral leaps that we're able to make as humans. So when I think about what makes a cross-functional team successful, I think it's fun. I think it's experimentation. I think it's play. That's what companies like Lego have realized, and we had the pleasure of working with them a couple of years ago. We just recently hired somebody who was at Lego previously, and I think it's the idea of a state of play. But when you marry play with purpose and you incorporate experimentation, I think you're able to bring about a more iterative way. And I think that's one aspect of cross-functionality I think is important. But the other thing, too, is I think just trust. I think being able to say, you know, there's lots of studies out there talk about psychological safety and blah, blah, blah. So I'm not going to just pair it up the studies that everybody else reads. But what I will say is it's not just trust. It's also saying, like, I want to hear your ideas. You know, one of the things that people really feel left behind on is, you know, at the, at the most core level, we still have these lizard brains, right? So people are still driven by two things, fear and greed. No matter how enlightened we might think we might be or how woke we are, we all have ego. Right? Like, I've done my best to tame my ego, but I don't believe that it's possible to kill your ego. I don't. At least I haven't met anyone who has completely been able to starve it off.
0: According to Joe Rogan, if you take enough acid, you kill your ego.
1: Maybe I should start doing some of that. I've never uh, experimented with that yet, but certainly microdosing. it. I watched that goop episode on Netflix, and microdosing sounds like a cool thing. Haven't tried it, but maybe someone can uh, tell me more about that another time. But in all seriousness, I think what it comes down to is experimentation, play. So when you marry what I call the delta, so we have this symbol that we use a lot of digital surgeons, it's a delta, which is the triangle, right? So it's change over time. When you marry experimentation with asking new questions, you unlock new answers, right? So when we've been the most successful at innovation, I think it comes down to the fact that we just didn't know what the hell we were doing. Truthfully, like at the beginning of digital surgeons, we were competing against some of these big, giant agencies, you know, your former employers in some cases, right? And we were winning these pitches and we're like, how the hell did we win? We went in. We didn't use big words and we just, everyone was involved in the idea and everyone was involved in making it happen, no matter what background or what their title was. When we do that, we win every single time. I think what happens is when we start to let the labels dictate what we do every day, a label like account or project manager or strategist or designer or developer, when those labels get put on us, just like the labels on, on these brands, right? This brand says something about who I am. It also, might say something about who I'm not. So, the thing that's interesting about cross functionality is I think when you put people in that state of play and convergence, that's where you get that really magical thought is by bringing in all these different backgrounds. And really, it's like I don't want to use the token word diversity because I feel like it's being overused in the wrong ways today. And I'm doing my best to learn and lean into it. But in all seriousness, what the true definition is by having unique and different things coming together. So, that for me, that convergence, I think, is. Why people are winning, right? It's why someone was like, "We're going to take this thermostat that's been around for almost 100 years, and we're going to take this thing called Wi-Fi. And we're going to spank the two together, and then before you know it, a Nest is born. And then Nest goes and gets bought by Google, and now we have all these connected home products, right? So the wheels on the suitcase moments happen when we stop and pay attention, and we listen, and we start asking ourselves and our teams, and our friends, and our families, and our clients new questions." That's where I believe cross-functionality happens. But it's the labels that limit us. And that's what I would say to answer that question.
0: I love that. And I think that's the key to having fun too. Fun. It's, it's just you got to create a place where people want to come to work every morning. And when they're curious and they're motivated to do work, as opposed to feeling that, okay, we're not innovating. It's just like clocking in.
1: It's a lot harder now, right? I mean, look, at what is work today? Here we are. Having what would have been an amazing conversation face to face, and now we're relegated to this flat screen that that's between us, right? So, what is work, right?
0: Yeah, it's really interesting. And you know what I do miss? So, what I used to do, places wherever I could, was invite everybody for a retreat. And that's if you have a budget. There's a place in Armenia, New York, or Connecticut in Armenia, and it's called uh, Troutbeck. I haven't brought anybody there yet, but like I'm dreaming of it. Like once the pandemic is over. They have this amazing hall. You can, hold, you can hold like a conference there, but it's just a really dope place to just spend the weekend. It's just gorgeous. And I think if you create a co-working atmosphere where people start to see each other as humans, where you bring the account team, you bring the client, and you go, you know what? Bring your family. It's okay. We're going to have a weekend and we're going to develop trust. We're going to plan what we're going to do for the year. So it's not a surprise because I think a lot of clients are like, I don't really know what I'm doing. They don't want to admit it either. Because again, it goes by egos, right? That leaves like the design teams and the account teams scrambling and being frustrated too because they can't help the client. So everybody's like in this tug of war, but also like you can't help each other if you don't admit that you need help. And once you have trust, you can kind of like establish everything that you need to deliver and you can have a a roadmap. Oh, that's a key word, right? A roadmap.
1: (laughs) We call them flight paths at Digital Surgeons. So we have this that word we use a lot where we always say we want to meet our clients where they're at today. We want to understand where they want to go tomorrow. And we want to bridge that gap. And that, that gap is what we call the delta. We recently launched a microsite that Really explains that whole Delta. It's called WeDesignDemand.com. It's sort of like a, a little throwback to the old flash sites that I used to make back in the day. So it was a little, it was a, some Easter eggs in there. I'd be curious to hear your feedback as a designer on it. But really I, I share that because I think understanding and bridging that gap, what is that flight path? What is that roadmap? What is that blueprint? I think that the first place we have to ultimately go is that place of self-awareness. And one of the hardest conversations that I have with founders and CEOs and CMOs is what's your vision for this venture? You know, some of them are at the helm of a hundred year old brand. Some of them are just starting a brand new startup that they just raised some money for. And I think what they all have in common is that fear of unknown, right? The fear of unknown as to what tomorrow might look like. And I think what's so interesting about that is when we let our guard down a little bit, you know, Brene Brown, again, bringing her up because she's just so incredible and so inspiring, is that vulnerability. When we let that vulnerability out, when we say we don't know, I used to always say, I'm like, I have no idea, but let me Google it and I'll get back to you." And that was sort of like an inside joke for a bit because we have some processes that we use for how we grok knowledge and how we acquire knowledge. But I think it starts with what do we know? And what don't we know? Because that's the thing that most people don't do. And that's why I believe that a lot of companies fail. They fail not because they don't have smart people, not because they don't have great products or that they're able to innovate. Now, some of them have McKinsey teaching them how to do innovation frameworks. So they've got all the knowledge, But, you know, knowledge is only as powerful as the practice you preach and in the walk you walk. And that's where ultimately I think I empathize with these companies. The ones that are going in one direction and they're the size of the Titanic. You know, and in some cases, they either believe that they're stronger than the iceberg or they believe that they don't need to change. And I think those are the companies that in the past couple of years have had a rude awakening. You mentioned Brooks Brothers. I think a lot of retail corporations have recently realized Truly how little value they were providing in their customers lives. And I think when you don't understand the value you provide and how others value, remember the person who determines what value is not you. It's your customer. And that's been a sort of just a rude awakening for me in so many cases. And I've had to, I've had to eat a lot of crap for uh, how my ego's gotten in the way of that, but I like to think it's improving. So 1% better every day, right?
0: Yeah, no, that's totally, that's 1%, that's 365% over a year. (laughs) Amen. And I, you made me think of something else too, because I think you can apply to strategy. You can go to UPenn, you can go to Warren, you can go to all these schools and you can be really knowledgeable when it comes to strategy and everything else. But it all comes down to the execution. You can have a brilliant strategy. And when it's not executed well, then you are screwed
1: ideas are nothing without execution that was a quote I've been using for about 15 years now
0: if you don't hire a great designer it's just not gonna be, you're gonna you're gonna be that person like he coming in to fix the projects I think my career is built on projects that were just messed up and me coming in and cleaning up messes like that is my freelance career I literally called in as like a ninja to like fix something they're like oh my god this is really screwed up can you come in I'm like okay I'll get the mop I'm coming in, you know. <laughs> I've got my mop. I'm coming in. It's fixing things, but in, in the perfect world, your agents at my place and everywhere else in a perfect world, you don't get into these messes because you realize that there's a way to do things properly, and you don't need to get into a mess.
1: You know, I think it's interesting you say that. And one of the things I've been having a little bit of tension with, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it, is around this idea of best practices. So I think what's really interesting about best practices is that there's an implicit flaw in that statement itself. If we follow the best practices, we'll never be able to unlock new possibilities in some cases. So I think that there's like this, what I always say to people is um, when you start something, what are the quick wins? You know, some people like the term low hanging fruit, which we can't get rid of. It's like such an agency word. What's the low hanging fruit here? That's always said in some very interesting term, right? What's low hanging fruit? And then, so I always say, what are the, what's the quick wins? And then what are the big bets? And what do they both have in common? And for me, finding that, that sort of Venn diagram, that intersection, I think is so interesting because that's where how you start to plot innovation. It's get to the best practice. And then shadow that box and shadow that paradigm, and, and candidly, that's worked for for some amazing things, and it's unlocked incredible growth. It's how we built a twenty-plus million-dollar tech campus, and uh, it's how we've helped brands exit and IPO. But it's also how we've messed up a ton, right? Because when your hubris gets in the way, and when you neglect best practices, that's when shit goes really wrong. So what I always like to say is, all right, what are the quick wins? What are the big bets? What are the best practices? Once you get everything running optimally, then how do you start to experiment with what the next best practices? We've used a framework for that, like very common, like 70, 20, 10. What's the 70% of the budget you're going to spend on tried and true tactics? 20%. It's a very common thing, but it works well. So what I always do now is I say, well, how do you take 20 plus 10 and make 30? And how do you go 70, 30? And then what's so interesting is when the 30 starts to perform better than the 70, how do you start to turn down the the 70 and up the 30? Those math and data applications to how we create as designers, I think is really interesting. One of the things I believe that we fail to learn as designers is just truly how special we are at solving problems because of our observation skills and our iteration skills. And I feel like if we can teach those ways of working With people who don't necessarily have these design backgrounds, I believe that's where design can change the world. And it already is, right? All around us. Just this very platform we're talking on didn't exist a couple of years ago, right?
0: They just launched this video feature like a week and a half ago. So I'm really excited to use it.
1: Awesome. Yeah, no, I'm excited to be here for sure. It's definitely much more interactive um, than just the standard dial-in, if you will.
0: Totally. Oh, and for people listening, I'm talking about Squadcast. Um, I use Squadcast to, ret- uh, to record all my podcasts. Oh, but you know what? I was going to ask you, Pete, how has the pandemic affected digital marketing and product launches for you?
1: So it's really changed a lot. It's a great question. And so it's changed, I think, the tactics we use. right? So we have a lot of clients in the CPG space and many in the food space specifically. So one of the tried and true tactics for getting to growing a food brand is let people taste and try the product. And if they like it, they'll buy it. Pretty obvious. So tactics like out of home, experiential, you know, trial events, we've had to rethink what does it mean to try a product? What does it mean to get a product in your hands? You know, because no one wants to uh, be in the middle of New York City, like handing out products in Times Square right now because of the pandemic. I think tactically, it's changed how we go to market. I think the speed of launches has been rapidly accelerated. You know, one of the things that I really worry about companies in our space, agencies, consultancies is that, as you mentioned, the I love Lucy moment, those conveyor belts are going faster and faster. I was talking to a couple of friends about this recently who work on the client side. And they said, you know, I left agency world because I wanted more team, less chaos on the client world. And client side, as you know, used to be a lot slower moving. And now they're saying the pace of change is just happening so quick. So to answer your question, what's changed for us is just we've had to pivot all the different tactics that we utilize in that go to market to move the funnel. So I think what's changed about marketing is just people's relationship with trust, people's relationship with the Internet, privacy, fear. And then obviously you have all these other dynamics happening at play with respect to mental health. We have people now who, as consumers, as employees, as people, we have so much more that we have to do. I mean, you're you're lucky enough, like you said, you've you've got um, someone to help out with your baby in the other room. But imagine if you didn't have a caretaker. Imagine if if you had to keep doing this. And exactly right.
0: I would lose my mind. Like I'm already losing my mind and I'm so happy. Like my mom just retired this year and she's like, I'm a full-time grandma. I'm like, bring it on. (laughs) So I'm so lucky. And I have my husband who's amazing as well and he helps. But even with two people, you have a little person and they're just dependent on you 24 seven, but it's nice to be able to have a little break so I can focus on work. So I can just be like, okay, like I need to get this work done. Let's plan it.
1: You know, even focus on you too.
0: I've been trying to go for a run, but it's like the body is so just not used to doing anything besides growing a baby. I digress, but it's just nice to just not have a baby hanging on you for about an hour. It's just nice. It's nice to be an adult and talk to another adult. (laughs) But um, Even though the baby is wonderful and I love the baby, it's just nice to have a tiny little break and not just feel like I'm just like the mom. It feels it's good to have myself back. What is your dream as an adult?
1: So I meditate a lot. It's really been a big catalyst for my mental health, my self-care routine. Some of my greatest ideas come when I'm meditating. I've meditated on that question of what do I want for myself in the future? And as close as I can think of as a dream, as a construct. And when I think about what I want for the future is creativity and prosperity, I think, are two really important things for me. And I think that the only way to achieve those two things Someone that I really have a lot of respect for said to me, "What makes you happy, and what makes you successful in your own definition, and how do you find happiness and success?" So, whether it be some people use the term guy, which is the your raison d'être, your reason for being—you know, where your vocation and vacation and all those things come together—great concept. And for me, when I dream about that, it's prosperity and creativity. It's, and I think the only way that those two things are made possible in the intersection of the convergence is being a master of learning and being adaptive and responsive to all the changes that are going to come at you. And obviously, with knowing that I'm going to be a dad soon and all these other things, you know, the, the thing that I'm thinking about most is, how do I always keep creating? Whether I'm creating humans or companies or new ways of working, Like that to me is super, super important. If I won Powerball tomorrow and I had a billion dollars and I never had to do anything else again to make a dollar, I would still be creating, I would still be learning, I would still be trying to help people to better connect with the product services and experiences that light them up. That's why I've stuck with the conveyor belt on the Isle of Lucy machine for as long as I have is I'm in it because I'm truly fascinated about how people operate. And as long as I'm learning, and as long as I've got that creativity, whether I'm gardening or meditating or designing the next ad campaign for a billion dollar brand, I think I'm going to be happy. So if those things come together, that's the the things that I'm looking for. That's what I dream about as an adult is being in that state of invention and creation and possibility. So I'm told that it's going to be a pretty wild ride being able to raise another human. So I'm hoping I can still hold on to
0: it. You'll be able to, and you know what, I think you'll get like a new set of eyes, you're just going to be seeing things for the first time through your baby. And it's like, it's incredible. And it's just, you know, you love launching companies, you're just launching a little human. It's so cool. Every day, something new happens. Like the other day, like yesterday, we had to drive into the city, we had to spend 10 hours in a car with an infant to get some paperwork done. I had to run speaking about things that don't work. City Hall does not work in New York. So trying to get like something signed at City Hall. But I was just watching my little like She's she's gonna be four months this, um like next week and she was just looking out the window in the lower east side and you can see her mind was being blown. She kind of looks around in her little carriage because she falls asleep. She doesn't she hasn't seen anything outside the four walls of this house. So she's like in the seat and she's driving through New York and there's graffiti and there's noise and you can see that she's just
1: Yeah, the pattern machine is just like trying to connect all the dots and everything, yeah.
0: Yeah, and like she's going over the bridge and she's like Oh, water. Like, it's just, I mean, you, you're going to just sit there and you're just going to like watch this human discover the world and you're going to be blown away. You're going to be like, this is so cool. And they're going to, I mean, you're creative. So the kid is going to be creative and they're going to like surprise you with all the stuff that they're going to come up with because they're going to blow your mind.
1: No, I, I love that. And it's, I'm super grateful to hear that frame on it. And I think framing is everything, right? You talk about how do you be cross functional, all cross functional. Thinking is reframing, right? It's basically saying, like, how do you bring people together from different places, walks and talks and functions, bridge them together because that's where the best things happen—is at that convergence, right? You know, like one of my favorite things is Korean barbecue tacos, right? Like, it's like it, the, the you get the best of like Mexican cuisine mixed with like Korean cuisine, and that's what I miss. When you said New York, I was just thinking, like, oh, I haven't had Korean barbecue in New York in a while. I'm like, now I'm like super hungry, and I'm, I'm mad at you for that it's super interesting. I appreciate that frame on it because I think that's the one thing I'm the most excited to do is I feel like I'm the poster child for creativity because it's helped me through like some of the hardest times I've had in my life. And obviously I've been a lot more fortunate than some people, but I feel like if we just keep creating, if we keep designing, that's how we'll keep growing as people. And ultimately, hopefully as a society.
0: I love that. And, and you know what? I also just realized that I forgot to ask you about District. Speaking of Convergence, I love District. I dropped by uh, a few weeks ago to check it out. And I really wanted to work out in the gym because the gym looks so awesome. But I'm just socially distancing because I've got a baby and a and my mom and, and the family. So. But it just looks like such a fun place that you've built. It has like a really awesome place where you can have a band Come up and has a good barbecue place. I'll I'll let you talk a little bit about it. How you got it started and
1: so I mean one thing that I'm really blessed is that I have a very crazy genius business partner. So for those that don't know, District is a tech and innovation campus uh, in New Haven, Connecticut. For those that are dialing in or listening in from from all over the world, we're directly between Boston and New York City. So pretty interesting place here in Connecticut and New Haven, uh, as you were just sharing. On the campus, we've got many companies call it home. We've got a co-working space, Digital Surgeons Headquarters there. We've got an architectural firm, which is one of our partners there. There's a lot of different types of, of organizations inside of that. And when my co-founder and I and our partners were dreaming up what we thought the future of work was, we really thought the future of work was about creating a community you know, being able to empower these creative collisions. And we asked ourselves, like, we worked with different architects, and we, we sourced a lot of information and inspiration. What's true about Google and Pixar and all these amazing, incredible creative companies? And it was about these creative communities, about these collisions. Um, and as you know all too well, just being from here, there's a lot of cultures, a lot of amazing things, a lot of invention that happened. You know, we we introduced the interchangeable part, you know, with Eli Whitney and, and everything, um, which really powered many forms of mass production in different ways. And lots of innovation happened right here in the backyard. So when my co-founder, David, saw this abandoned bus depot, he thought bigger. He went further with where what it could be. And instead of just being a dormant, empty building that was once a bustling source of transportation and life, we asked ourselves, could we breathe new life in that? And that's when we went to we Launch District. One thing I want you to know and everyone else to know is that you know we've done an incredible job. We have an amazing team there that is led with some great people. And, and they've launched a series of social distancing protocols. So obviously, the gym is in full capacity. People are able to come back. I'm also nervous because my wife's pregnant. But I've been working out there with a personal trainer. Obviously, masks are required. There's a number of other protocols we had to put in place. But it's exciting to me to see that the co-working space is, st- is still... Has lots of energy there. Some people really want want that face to face interaction, even if it, it's requiring a mask or requiring some social distancing. What I believe the future of work is about is bringing people together at the right place at the right time for the right type of context. I think context is really queen of all things right now. Being that as much as the remote work environments, I think will transform how we work. You know, if I'm writing software and I'm coding, which I spent you know half my career doing. I want to be behind the screen and I want to be in total silence with my earphones on, right? But if I'm going to be collaborating with you on an idea, sure, we've got tools like Miro and all these great tools, but I don't want to put a VR headset on. I don't want to be on a zoom call with, with Miro. I want to get together. I want to feel like the, like you can see in the background here, there's like all these things on my wall, but like I want to have the post-its on my hands and the, and the whiteboard marker there. Like there's something special about that. And I think, you know, we're resilient as humans. And I think that irrespective of what happens with these vaccines or the next step, we are obviously in a new normal. I hate when people say that. So played out. But I think our campus at District is really a north star for how you can bring people together in a way that Let's people live, work, and play in a way that is creative. And I think that it was a very design-driven way that we brought that to life with some incredible people, too far too many to name on this podcast, but I was just such a tiny part of having that come together. But the idea for the district really goes back over a decade ago. We've only had district for a few years now, but it goes back to my partner and I were thinking 10 plus years ago about what's the future of work? What's the future of bringing people together? We had this idea for like a collective model where we had photographers, designers, illustrators, like all different disciplines working together. You know, 10 years ago, people were like, oh, that's that's a crazy idea. It was long before the WeWorks in all the different kind of co-working brands that have come and go and whatnot popped up. But that's been really exciting for us. And obviously on campus, we've got, you know, Connecticut Innovations, which is doing amazing work in, in the venture capital and the accelerator space. So there's a lot of innovation coming out of Connecticut, a lot of innovation coming out of New Haven. And I'm just excited to to be a part of that.
0: You also have a C-Click Fix in there, I think, which is Ben Berkowitz's company. He was my first guest on the show.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. No, I I don't know if Ben is still there because now I know that he's he's sort of exited the business so i think he's still involved in working with them but since they i guess they sold there's a transaction i don't know all the details um but i know that they did spend some time at district in in the co-working space for a while i don't know if he's still there but i'll have to check in i haven't spoke with him recently but yeah speaking about civic innovators and some of the work that he's done um, ben's just an incredible mind
0: yeah he is and I, i just love that there's so much really like amazing gems in new haven and uh yeah i have to check in with him too he's got two kids too I haven't spoken to him in a while, but maybe one day we can all have a play date.
1: Yeah, that sounds good.
0: We can have some great pizza. and uh...
1: They'll all grow up and start their next startup. Who knows what it'll be, right?
0: I want my kid to start a band. But then again, I'm like, you are going to do whatever you're going to do. and I'm not going to push you to do anything. You're just going to discover what you like and you're going to do things. and You're going to be your own person. I would be really proud if you were in a punk band when you were in high school. But if you're not like that's... Like what I... It's a totally different human coming out of your body. Like, I don't know what she's going to like.
1: Yeah, no, that's awesome. I, I love that idea of just like, again, space to play, space to explore, space to unlock possibilities, right? That's where I think, you know, one of my favorite things about this community that we're building is just the different people, you know, just recently... One of the founders of a business called spheregen they just announced in the news that because of some of their Microsoft HoloLens technology, they literally just, and they're, they're in district on campus. It's the founder, Ted, is a, a serial entrepreneur. And they just announced that they helped to facilitate the first ever remote, basically like XR type of surgery between in another country. It was the coolest thing ever. I'll send it to you. If my memory be, I think it was Mount Sinai, but I'll, I'll definitely find it and send it to you. But why I share that, right, is this is the type of innovation that's happening literally in our backyard. And I think that no matter where you're dialing in from or listening to this from now or in the future, innovation's all around us. So if, if we just open our eyes like your daughter and look out the window, there's going to be something amazing out there for us all. I just think that we have to believe that. And I think mindset is everything. And I could not be a bigger believer in growth mindset and creative mindsets. And I think that those are the things that Unlock the kinds of possibilities that make things like this whole thing possible, right? Like us spending an hour together today, having this awesome conversation. So, thanks again for that.
0: Yeah, it's been such a pleasure. I'm so happy that we made it happen. It's been uh, <laughs> it's been a few months in the making.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, no, really grateful for everybody that was involved in making this happen. But yeah, I just can't wait to see this go live and, and share this with a bunch of people that might hopefully uh, get inspired by it. You know, it's it's not about the quantity; it's about the the quality, right? If we can inspire one person to be more happy or successful or a combination of both hopefully in their life or work as a result of this conversation that the two of us just had for fun on a Thursday. That to me is why I get up out of bed every day and do what I do. It's certainly not because of the I love Lucy conveyor belt.
0: (laughs) It's so true, right? I love that. That is so beautiful. And maybe like, you know, somebody's kid who's 16 tunes in and they're just trying to figure stuff out. And uh, and that's why I get on the phone with people. Phone. <laughs> that's why I go. On the phone. Yeah, because you know I I think these tools weren't available to me when I was little, and it's like there's so much there's so much content out there, and there's just so much great information you can find out just by listening through your whole entire life.
1: That's what we get paid to do, right? Is consume and create. That's what we do as humans: consume and create. And I think that ultimately. The delta between consume and create is connection. And when we lean into those three things, that's where possibilities really happen. So,
0: I love it, Pete. It's been such a pleasure. And also shout out to Kyle for hooking up this interview, for going through emails. I super appreciate it. Thanks, Kyle. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it.
1: Let's stay connected. I'll talk to you soon.
0: I will. Okay, have a good day. Bye, Pete. Thanks for tuning into the show. I hope you enjoyed it. Please share on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Dream Nation Love. It's not Dream Nation podcast, it's Dream Nation Love because I think my single mission in life is to teach people how to love a little bit more and together we can save the world. So it's Dream Nation Love, share it with your friends, have a great day and go out and make the world a better place.